I have a funny story to tell about an, an interview I did uh, on CNN's headline news one time. So they, I, I was at Focus on the Family and they booked me because there was these, and I'm going to give away the ending a little bit by saying what I'm about to say. It was horrible. There were these horrible, horrible videos that were going around uh, virally um, uh, about churches across the country who were having uh, young children uh, and 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 they themselves, the pastors, were saying some some terrible things about gays and lesbians, just terrible stuff from the pulpit. And so they they booked uh, a bishop who was of uh, they thought kind of a more uh, liberal progressive ideology and focus on the family, well known as a conservative organization. They booked me, so they they bring me on and the host, right? The host was so great. Uh, 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 um, she she gets all fired up. She plays some of these clips and she's all ready to go. And she, she goes, Gary Schneeberger, do, do you agree with any of this? And I said, heavens, no, no, I don't. I, that, that, what you just played is rhetorical pornography. And she, you should have seen her face. The clip is still online. Her face, Angela was like, uh, why didn't my, I mean, in her mind, I could tell she's going, why didn't my producers vet you better? Because I was looking to get a debate between you and this other host, that, uh, uh, this other guest that I have. And you don't agree with what is. So you guys are going to agree. We ended up agreeing with each other, me and the other uh, guest. And the segment, which was supposed to be 12 minutes long, was over in like four minutes because there was <laughs> nothing left. There was nothing left. You know, she was after a little bit of controversy and she didn't get it because, you know, the, the truth of the matter was but what 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 was being discussed was horrible. And I called it horrible and they didn't do their research enough to know that I wasn't going to go. Yes, that's great. No, it was horrible. Me and the and the other guy agree with each other. And when we were, you know, kind of kumbaya together, she got us off the stage <laughs> as fast as she could. <laughs> you got to love it. The one thing I learned being a lawyer is you never ask a question that you don't know the answer to already. Right, right. And, you know, and, and the other big thing was try to confine it to yes or no, which does not make for a great interview. It just makes for a great witness. But but sometimes it's, there's that when you're being interviewed and someone asks you a question or they're anticipating something. And, and I was told there was a trick to use, which was always have water with you and just mm. oh, take a sip of water and go, mm, you know, that's, and gives you time to collect your thoughts and, right. and move forward. Um, there's all kinds of things that one can do. I mean, but, but, but you're right though, is when they, when someone interviews you and they're not prepared or they take it out of context. Now that's, that's a big PR nightmare that happens. It happens a lot to actors. It happens to, or it happens just about anybody. They'll make a statement, especially now with social media where everything you say is out before anybody gets right. Knows what's going on, but more importantly, they only get the sound bite and they pull, they pull one line out of context and now you're backpedaling for something that you didn't really say. And I, I go back to, you talked about your, your Super Bowl ad and it got, it, it got under the skin of Howard Stern, which right. I have to say was probably, <laughs> and I, and I still believe the old adage that, you know, any PR is good PR. Um, he must've said your name in, in that segment, like, I don't know, 20 times. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. He was, he was not happy. Um, and what he kept saying was who the bleep, gave Gary Schneeberger $3 million for a Super Bowl ad. He said it over and over again. So much so that my my older brother, 14 years older than me, um, still picks on me to this day. We just had his birthday party a couple days ago. And he, he he brought that up again about how Howard Stern, you know, went after me. But you're right. 
that raised awareness for people who heard that show who maybe didn't see that ad. I guarantee you they went and searched. Many of them went and searched on YouTube to find that ad because they wanted to know what their who, Howard Stern, who they listen to, who they who they they trust, they respect, they enjoy. They wanted to know what who, who is this guy he's talking about and what's this ad he was talking about. That helped us in the at the end of the day. That helped us turn that three million dollar investment for that ad into ten times, twelve times more than that in terms of earned media in the coverage that we got. I think that's great. I always laughed at the Howard Stern people when I was living in New York. People would watch, listen to Howard Stern. And the people who allegedly listened to him the most are the ones who were trying to get him off the air all the time. So they boosted right. his ratings like right through the roof. But 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 having that mention, it went viral. Right. And and it and you were able to spin it into something positive. Now sometimes people say things like you say, I'll go back to you know, actors and or, or authors. I mean, people say things and it gets twisted. And again, because social media now is instantaneous. Yep. It's what do you do? I mean, how do you how do you save? It doesn't, it, especially now, right now, there's so much conflict going on that there's so many topics that people are just polarized on. Mm-hmm. And any innocent comment now can be pulled out of context and you can, and it can be twisted. And in PR, what do you do? What do you recommend for somebody? Do you say ignore it? Do you say get out ahead of it? Do you? I mean, is is there yeah. is there a solution? Yeah, the short answer to that question is yes. <laughs> yes, you say all those things depending on the on the issue. Um, first of all, if what you said was indeed something you shouldn't have said, yeah, because right, we're, we're all. All of us are talking in, in in front of hot mics now. With with you know, people got have cameras and all those kinds of things. If what you said was something you shouldn't have said, do something. I mean, here's here's a way to to upset expectations. Apologize if you need to. Nobody ever apologizes, right? Everybody gives what I call a Janet Jackson apology. You know, when she uh, had the, her Super Bowl mal, uh, wardrobe malfunction, what she said was, "I'm sorry if anybody uh, was offended." That's not an apology. If doesn't belong in an apology. If you need it, if you need to apologize, do that because that will that will damp down the controversy pretty well. Because so few people apologize, you know, it's like, oh, okay, next, and they move on. If if it is something that's truly taken out of context, uh, you know, there are ways to go after it, to go after it and reframe it. I use the word reframe rather than spin because I think that's more what it is. And it also doesn't have a negative connotation, but example in the book that I used when I worked in Hollywood marketing films, um, I worked on, um, on uh, the Bible miniseries, which was a huge, huge success for the producers were Mark Burnett, the, the king of, uh, of reality TV, uh, survivor, the voice, um, uh, and, and Roma Downey who had played, um, in touch by an angel and is, is mm-hmm. his wife. And there was a, speaking of social media, that the devil finally makes his appearance in episode, in like episode seven. And the actor who played the devil, the, the, the radio host, Glenn Beck thought he looked like Barack Obama. Right. So he puts this out there. People that are then accusing Mark Burnett and Roma Downey of making the devil into, um, uh, Barack Obama, and then in connecting that they must think that 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 they don't like Barack Obama. Well, when you work in Hollywood and your phone rings at three thirty in the morning, never a good thing. 
Um, my phone rang at 3.30 and we talked about, okay, here's what happened. Glenn Beck did this thing. It's gone viral a little bit. How do we respond? And we responded in a couple ways. One, we we pointed to the truth the right way because it was taken out of context to your point. Um, and, you know, a little bit of research will tell you that uh, Mark Burnett and Roma Downey had donated some money to the um, to Barack Obama's candidacy. Okay. They clearly don't think he's Satan if they're giving money to him. Second thing we did is uh, issued a statement quickly that day to, to set the record, not to even to set the record straight, but to do it in a way that was that was winsome and creative. And we said that, um, um, uh, you know, uh, we we were going to Roma said we're going to give the devil his due when we make the movie version of this uh, and he's he's going to be on the cutting room floor. Right. So she turned that phrase, give the devil his due. And the idea was this was a story about it was Jesus's first time in the episode when it appeared and all the attention has been diverted away from it. Roma made the point that, the, you know, that's that's the way the devil works. We don't want to be part of that. So when we put the movie out that, about this miniseries, um, we're going to take him out completely because we don't want the point to get misdirected from what our point is. And it died. That story died in a day in less than a day. So that's how you do it. You come back at it with with something that can that can change the narrative and understand. And 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 in this day and age, the news cycle, it's not like it was uh, when I was a kid and Walter Cronkite told you that's the way it was. That's the way it was. Right. News cycle is, goes in in in, in t- not 24 hour increments, but, you know, 24 second increments and stories can can fall out of fashion pretty quickly. If you confront them head on, you don't try to evade them and you and you give fuller perspective. That's what we did in that case. That's what you can do in almost any case when those things come up that are out of context and can cause you a little bit of uh, of media heartburn. It's funny. When I was a kid, I used to sit there and you'd watch Peter Jennings would give you the news and Walter Cronkite would give you the news and you felt comfortable with it. Then all of a sudden, you know, things started to change um, and people, people moved more away from print and went on to the instantaneous CNN brought us everything right, right. away. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is as a journalist, you're, you're reporting in the, in the instant, but there's something Sometimes there's a lack of research. There's a lack of, you know, you're putting something out there so quickly without really, really being sure of what it was. Right. And I and I see it again. I'll go back to just like artists because that's a lot of people that I work with. It takes one little thing and to get that career sidetracked. But at the same time, I need PR as as an artist uh, um, to move my career forward so it's finding trying to find that right level of comfort um is there anything wrong with you know i i choose a pr agent um they could have some experience they could have no experience but, but i can relate to them but after you know a certain amount of time i'm not feeling it's working how do you break up <laughs> you know do you just go i'm not paying you today and you move on or no i mean there are, uh, and that's happened. I mean, that happens with with me and my business, where somebody, right? They they start out, they want to raise uh, their profile, they want to raise their brand. That 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 occurs, and they they they've learned some things, and they want to move on and pursue different uses, right? They have they have they have to they have to budget as well, so the money then goes into more uh, traditional marketing, uh, those kind of things. But yeah, have have the conversations. In many cases, I know in cases for me and for most clients, I have. I have monthly um, um, 
contracts uh, that run for anywhere from one to three months or three three to six months. A couple that that do you know annually. Um, you know, uh, have the conversation. I'm not going to hold anybody to if someone really doesn't want to work with me anymore. Not because they're upset with me. Um, but because they've got other priorities, I'll, you know, I, I've just had a client uh, who I've just started working with who is who is putting a pause on uh, the efforts um, t- to publicize a book. That's fine. That's great. I mean, always have the conversation the same way that you always want to have the conversation when a, a reporter asks you to uh, to speak on an issue that you're passionate about that will help you you know, raise the profile of your brand. It's always it's always good to have the conversation with the PR agent if it's if it's uh, if you no longer need slash want uh, his or her services. I always find it interesting when you know you get in a relationship, a business relationship, and sometimes people find it hard to say you know to move on and let it go. I, I really do believe, and I did really did enjoy reading that book. That I think that the, the PR is important. And because the world is moving so quickly, it's it's nice to know there's how to get ahead of it, how to get involved with it. It's important. If it's it's important if you're an individual trying to promote yourself, it's important if you're trying to pr- promote a cause, um, a business idea. It it's it's a great thing. Now you talked about branding. Um and people are familiar with like, okay, I see a brand, I, I see I see a, a copy paper and the old days you thought, Oh, it's a Xerox, you know, right. they branded it. Well, everything was a Xerox. How do you brand if you're an individual and you're branding yourself? I mean, what's, what are three simple things that someone can do? Is it, you know, a, a, you know, the obvious things are like websites or Instagram or LinkedIn and all of these things. How essential are they to building that brand? Or, but what are the three things that, someone should probably do. Yeah, it depends on what your business is. I mean, I think, uh, first of all, you want to know clearly what your value proposition is. What do you offer? Um, What do you, uh, what do people get when they engage with you? Um, And then how do you differentiate yourself? Because chances are you're going to have other people in the same zip code as you are when it comes to the services you offer. How do you differentiate your your offerings from other people's offerings? We we work with clients when we onboard them to to go through a value proposition exercise to talk about what it is that that the business that the brand offers and then why it's uh, it's it's done with excellence and then how it's different from other people who may be in the same space. So those three things are sort of the umbrella over then what comes underneath that are the assets. And you're right. A website's important. Um, uh, you know, uh, some always good to have any media that you do put that on your website because what it shows other people in the media is that you're that you can do interviews and it shows prospective clients, people who want to engage your business, that that you have third-party affirmation, which is it, it is critical. You have media who will loan you their microphone to tell their listeners, readers, viewers about what it is that you do, and that is so much more valuable. I, in Bite the Dog, I have a statistic. It's a little it's it's a little dated by now, but it's I'm sure it's still strong that uh, Nielsen did research in the, in the, in the mid 2000s, uh, 2010, 2012, 13, 
um, that found that earned media news coverage of what it is you do is almost 90% more effective than paid media, marketing, advertising, in building affinity for your brand, for what you do. And the reason for that is simple, right? What's what's more important? What's going to be more impressive as people listen to what's going to help me out? What's going to help my company roar out more as people listen and watch to this podcast, Angela? Is it going to be me talking about myself or is it going to be you saying nice things about the book and, and, and about me? It's going to be you because you are the third party affirmation that says, OK, this guy has some things to say that are pretty interesting that's going to float the boats a little higher than me just babbling consistently about stuff. So that is really the, a key part of the brand is uh, to, to set your brand apart is when you have that third party affirmation, get endorsements for your products, for your books. I haven't, you know, uh, invite the dog. I have several endorsements. In fact, the back cover is nothing but endorsements. Um, and the idea behind that was to give people, um, uh, that third-party affirmation that I, I, that I wrote about in the book. That's a key part of, of really s- sticking the landing on a brand. I, like I said, and I'm, I had you on the show. I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I did enjoy the book. I did get something out of it. Um, I, I'm not naive to reporting or, or PR, but there was something about it that made this, accessible that it made people it could make i could understand that and i know other people reading it who have no idea how pr works will give them a better understanding about how to promote themselves because in a world we're in right now there's so much noise there's so much clutter and to rise above it is very difficult and rising above it means having a good a good story and and i don't mean a story where you you fabricate a fairy tale about yourself, right. but you need a right. good a good story, and you need a story that for people who are in your circle, and for a story for people who are outside your circle to bring them into your circle to right. to make them. And and building a story is is not that easy. And in in, in, in you know you're doing it in, in, in as a public relations. Um, what's it like to build that story? I mean, I look at it. I'm the character of my story. I'm the main character now. Right. How do I make you love me? <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that I did with Bite the Dog was, yes, it's a guidebook on what I consider the best practices. It's my manifesto on what makes what makes good public relations. At the same time, there is a, there's a memoir aspect to it because I tell a lot of stories about my career, both as a journalist, getting heavy, you know, dealing with people who were in PR, and also as a PR agent dealing with trying to get clients exposure. So. Um, I very um, uh, intentionally told stories about myself, both successes and failures. There's there's some embarrassing, not anymore, but I mean, some things at the time that were very embarrassing that I talk about. And the main reason I talk about that here in the book is to tell people, to show to folks, you can trip and fall. You can make a mistake. You can say the wrong thing. Because guess what? Anytime... I can, this is another thing I can guarantee about engaging in media. When you stand behind one of these things, these microphones right here, and it's live, even if it's not live, we're not live right now, but I guarantee you, if you stand behind it for any period of time, you're going to say something into it that you wish you hadn't said into it. 
that you shouldn't have said into it that is going to cause a bit of a of a of a crisis. Crises will happen, um, but they're not they're survivable. I'm still here, um, even though I had more than my share of crises over the years. So the that ability, and that's part of your story, right? That's part of the story that you're talking about, Angela. Is part of my story is that that uh, I, I call it, you know, symbols are are is survivable. So I don't say a bad word in my book. Um, those that stuff is survivable. You can have I call them uh, uh, boggles, mangles, and misdeeds. Uh, you can have those things happen, and uh, and you're still going to be fine if you do the right things and you're honest about it, and you're and you're and you're and you're intentional about how to then reshape what your 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 message is. That's all. Uh, that's all about that. So you, you just you know the, that's a long-winded answer. Here's a here's a more to the point answer to your question that the best way to do it to, to build your story is, is to be conscious of building it. And I love, I love what you said. Um, I think it was before we were uh, recording about not ha- like if people show up for an interview with, with a bunch of notes, you take them away from them in studio, right? Because you want a real story to happen for your listeners. You don't want somebody some AI sort of generated, you know, you don't want me going to call Bruce Willis, one of the biggest movie stars and action heroes of his time does him a monumental disservice. You don't want me doing that because I'm just reading stuff and you could post that stuff if you want, if that's what you wanted. So the, the key to is, is not rely, lean into what, you know, don't, don't you don't need crib sheets for what you know lean into your experience lean into what you know that will help you establish yourself in the public relations world it was funny when i had did the show live i used to have the show was uh, radio was live and we live streamed it there was a six second delay and i had a an artist on whose um political slant is hardly what the most graffiti artists are he's very white right wing and when he came into the studio to sit with me he had it like and i'm like relax and i said these are my these are the things i want from you just relax and said no four-letter words because i don't want to pay that we went through after he settled in and relaxed it was an amazing interview that keeps going back and getting hits it has over over 120,000 hits for an art show that's a lot and he was funny and he he was by the end of the interview it was amazing what we got out of him um and it was honest and it was raw and it was true but at that very split second he goes wow i can't believe i didn't and then he said the f-bomb okay and you know and i'm like okay we got to cover this real quickly and we did but you you survive and that's that's a key thing but now you know, you're doing this PR, you're in LA, you're doing all these things. And then you go and decide to write some books. Yes. What was wrong with you that day? <laughs> yeah. The, well, the, so bite the dog was the first one. And I wrote that as a way to, um, to get my experience out there. And, and, and it really has been it's certainly not a bestseller. I've not, but I've, it's helped me get clients. Cause I think in their eyes, the book indicates that I kind of know some things about what I'm doing. So that's been very helpful. The, 
the other books, the Frank Sinatra on the big screen, that's the first uh, film study book. I've written three film study books. Frank Sinatra's one. See how fast you can go. Second, look at you. You beat me. Second one is uh, from, from Connery to Craig, the James Bond film series. Third one, the films of Bruce Willis, which just came out um, in, uh, in October. Um, all of those were written in partnership with my uh, best friend since college, James L. Nyber, which is his his publisher name. I've never called him James L. in my life. He's Jim to me. Um, but for the purposes of this conversation, he's James L. Nyber. And he he has written, um, if I can brag on him for a bit, he has written uh, more than 35 books on the in this very kind of format. He didn't invent the format, but he's really perfected the format. And the format and the format is film by film studies of actors of significance. And he is focused, his first one came out while we were in college in 1985. And it was a it was on um uh movie comedians. And it was it focused a lot on silent movie comedians because that was his that's his a real area of expertise, earlier film, classic kind of film stuff. Um, he wrote that book then. Our friendship goes on. Um, I start moving away to go get newspaper jobs. And in 1991, 92, I'm like, I want to write, because I'm a huge Frank, Frank Sinatra fan. I want to write a book on Frank Sinatra.